I'm here to speak to your issue tonight. I'm here to speak to that place where you got stuck. I'm here to speak to your point where you started making excuses. I'm here to speak to the place where you gave up. And I'm here to speak to you and tell you that God wants to have an encounter with you tonight. He wants to encounter you in a way that you will be transformed, that you will be healed, that you will be set free. But some of you are waiting for your circumstances to change for you to get up and walk it off. And God's saying, I just want you to walk it off. And by the end of this night, I'm believing there's going to be some of you who begin to do a march that says, I am beginning to walk off what the enemy has tried to hold me down with. I'm going to begin to shake it off. I'm going to begin to shake it into the fire. And I'm going to run into the battle and run into the victory tonight. See, are you ready for change tonight? Are you ready for God to do something supernatural? We have been, as a church, we have been so afraid of saying that word supernatural as if it's a dirty word. But my God doesn't work in the natural. He doesn't work in this flesh. He works in the supernatural. He is not bound by the things that we are bound by. And if I'm going to walk in his spirit, if I'm going to walk in his breath, that that means I need to start walking in the supernatural. And start seeing those things that are not as though they are. Speaking into existence the things that God says should be happening. And stop speaking the negative and making excuses for why I can't see them happen. See, I'm ready for change. I'm ready to see God do something powerful. And that's what God began to birth this, uh, the scripture, Job 33, 4, and I mentioned it, where the spirit of God has made me, but the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And I began to do, I've just recently started a weekly Facebook Live called The Breathing Room, and you can catch it every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., where I just begin to dive into the scripture to bring life into homes, to bring life into people, to let them know that God still speaks, that God still wants to do miracles in your life, that God's not just a something that you put up on a shelf and just pull off and rub the Buddha's belly when you feel like it. He's not your Santa Claus. He's not your mascot. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he wants to do a miracle in your life. See, I'm here to talk to those who are ready for change. I'm here to talk to the ones who have been waiting on tomorrow for your miracle. I'm here to talk to the ones that you keep saying, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow will be a different day. Tomorrow I'll get my miracle. Tomorrow I'll see a change. Tomorrow I'll believe. Tomorrow I'll dig in. Tomorrow I'll have my prayer time. When God is saying, your tomorrow is today. Your tomorrow is right now. And Pat and I wrote this book, Rebuilding the Altar. And in chapter 7, there is a, a chapter that's called, When Tomorrow Becomes Today. Because we have walked through seasons where we were waiting on tomorrow. It so stirred in us that I even wrote a chapter in Dehydrated, the book that I wrote, talking about the very thing that I'm going to be talking about tonight. See, but I believe that we are in a famine in America. I believe that we're in a drought, and I'm here to speak to your drought tonight. I'm here to speak to that place in your life that is thirsty, that place in your life that is in a famine, because there is a famine in the land, and there's a drought for the living water, and the enemy's goal is to keep God's creation from ever experiencing the freedom that comes from drinking from the well of living water. That's the enemy's goal, is to keep you away from the water that can heal you and bring refreshing into your life. I mean, otherwise, God created us, and he created our bodies to be 50 to 65% water because water is important to our lives, and he is that living water. And if we're not drinking him in on a daily basis, then how are we expecting for our lives, our marriages, our children, everything in our life to be healthy? We're in a state of dehydration. In our lives spiritually. Amos 8.11 says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And we are in that place. 
in that place and culture where everywhere we turn, every thank God that this is a church that believes in the word of God, that still has the altars in the front of the church, that still believes in the place of the encounter. But can I tell you that is not becoming the norm across the nation? In an area, in a place, in a nation where we're confronted every day with corruption and perversion. Every day we're faced with being around people, people professing to be Christians with a false grace message. Saying that grace is the ability for us to do whatever we want because it was all covered on the cross. The, the greasy grace messages, that microwave Christianity or celebrity Christianity that says, look at me, look at me, when all the while we're supposed to be looking at him. See, it's not about us. That place where the altars have become just a prop for, for uh, productions and for dramas and different things. See, it's enough to leave the church in a state of being in the desert. To be left without the presence of God. But Proverbs 25, 26 says, Like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. So we have a generation that is dehydrated, stuck in the dry desert, thirsty for living water, but settling for a mirage in the desert called self-satisfaction. See, we have settled for whatever makes us feel good, that must be what's right. Whatever makes us feel good must be what that we should pursue. But can I tell you, in the times that I have been seeking God, I usually have to come to a place of being uncomfortable before I can be changed. See, we have... We're in that place, but can I tell you that God is all about the refreshing in the water? Jesus performed at least 37 known miracles, and nine of those had to do with water. So I'd say it's safe to say that a fourth of the miracles were tied to water because Jesus likes water. Do you know why? Because he is the living water. He is the well that will never run dry. He is our refreshing because Jesus is our river. John 7, 38 says, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. See, you'll be flowed. You'll be filled to overflowing. Just like they said, fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Lord, till I'm overflowing. Do you know what that means? We're saying, God, give me everything in you. And if you put everything of you in me, there's no room for anything of me. There's no room for the flesh to take over. See, Jesus is our well. John 4, 14 says, Whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. The water I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He is our pool of redemption. And I want to tell you, some of you tonight, the weather's getting warm outside and some of you need to head to the pool tonight. You need to head to the water tonight. You need to head to the recreation center and dive in the pool tonight. See, I want to talk to you about a man at the pool. Because turn with me to John 5, verse 1 through 6. It says a feast came around and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the sheep gate in Jerusalem where the pool in Hebrew called Bethesda with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. But when Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool, I love this because it says, when he saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had stayed there, he simply said to him, he simply walked up to him and said, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? This man, it seemed like such an odd question to me. I mean, the man had been there for 38 years, sitting by this pool. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be well? See, so many times we stand at the crossroads of pity and power. We stand at the crossroads of pity and power. And I hear Jesus declaring to the church tonight, do you want to be well? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be healed? I have heard him say that to me this past year. But can I tell you something? The healing he's talking about is not the healing I was praying for. 
See, my healing that I need is not in my physical body. It's how I view him. It's how I view where he's taking me. It's how him view how I view it because, see, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of all that you're walking through, when you're complaining about everything, woe is me, poor pitiful me, because I've done that. I've had to hear him say to me, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Karen? Do you trust me that I see on the other side of the storm? And you may have to walk through the storm, but if you won't give up, when you won't lay down, when you won't die in the midst of the storm, if you'll just keep pushing through, your miracle is on the other side of the storm. Your miracle, and when you get there, you'll be stronger than when you started the journey. See, can you imagine this scene? When Jesus was there, can you imagine being so thirsty when you are only steps from the well of life, but being willing to die in a pit called excuses? Being so close to your freedom, but being willing to die in your excuses. See, I'm calling you to action tonight. See, if I seem a little passionate, if I seem a little intense tonight, it's because I hear the sound of a nation that needs to be awakened. I hear the sound of a nation that needs an awakening to take place. And I warn you, if you miss your moment today, then you will rob your grandchildren of the day, someday being able to brag about the freedom that you brought to your family. See, I hear the sound of marching tonight. It's a sound of those that have waited on the sidelines, watching the church be distracted by the moral code of the world. All the while, our Savior is asking, do you want to be well? Do you want to be made whole? Then it's time to get in the well. See, I love it because all through the Bible, Jesus talks about water and wells. See, there was all through the Bible, he talks about it. When Jesus and John 4 met the Samaritan woman at the well. In Genesis 26, Isaac redug the ancient wells. But in Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit that was an empty well. But can I tell you that in Genesis 1, the Bible starts off talking about water. And it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void. And darkness covered the surface of the deep. But I love what it says next. But the spirit of God, the breath of God was hovering over the waters. And God spoke. His breath went forward. He was standing there and there was darkness that covered the waters. There was darkness over the surface of the deep. And he said, let there be light. And his breath blew light into the galaxy and the universe. And some of you are sitting here tonight and your life is covered in darkness. And your life has been covered and you feel like you're in the abyss, abyss of darkness. But I'm here to tell you that God's breath is here. And he's about to punch a hole through the darkness and about to speak life into your desert, speak light into your darkness tonight. See, I see a longing in the eyes of a generation for hope to be revealed. And the church must be the reflection in their pupil with its hands reached out saying, do you want to be free? Do you want to get well? See, I feel the tug of the Holy Spirit saying, quit make excuses and climb to your feet and lead a revolution with your hands extended to the world saying, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? See, today we say hello to God and we say goodbye to the lies of the enemy. Because John 5, 6 says, when Jesus saw him stretched out and how long he had been there, he said, do you want to be made well? See, he was stuck only steps from the water, steps from his miracle, steps from his healing, from his refreshing. But he may have been a thousand miles away because he wasn't willing to just step into the water. His mindset of blaming others was keeping him from his miracle. See, it was everyone else's fault. 
everyone else's fault. Nobody will help me. Nobody will give me a word. Nobody will just get me to the presence of God. Nobody will preach the right sermon. No one will sing the right song. It's everybody's fault that I can't have an encounter. See, there's some of you in here that God has been waiting for your excuses to run out. So that he can give you what you have dismissed as only a mirage in yesterday's hope. And yesterday's hoping for a miracle. But see, there's a point in your life where superstition gets interrupted by the supernatural. See, the Bible says that Jesus went to Jerusalem. And there was a festival there. How many of you know that Jesus loves to crash your party? Jesus loves to crash the parties. He walks through the sheep gate. The gate where the animals would be paraded through the streets on their way to die as a sacrifice. That's the gate that Jesus decided to walk through. He walked through the gate as a symbol. He was saying to them, I am the spotless lamb. I am the one that's going to bring healing. I am the one that's going to bring deliverance. I am your hope. I am your freedom. And he walked right past the sheep gate. And he walked past that gate, and he ends up at the pool of Bethesda. And there were five porches there where the sick were divided into groups. Sounds a lot like denominations, doesn't it? Just divide the sick among the denominations. See, can I tell you what Bethesda means, though? See, I think if you, you start reading the scriptures differently... And realize that the breath of God is running through them. That you will read it so differently. But listen to what the word Bethesda means. The word Bethesda literally means house of mercy or house of grace. Are you getting this? Because here it was, what a scene this was. This place was called the house of mercy and grace. This is where the wounded, the sick, the lame, the crippled, the diseased would camp out day after day in the house of mercy and grace. The sick believed that periodically an angel would come and stir the waters, the superstition. There was a superstition, I've got to just sit by the water because one day an angel is going to come and it's going to begin to stir the waters. And the rule was that if the angel stirred the water, then the first person who got in is the one that's going to be healed. Doesn't sound much like mercy and grace to me. See, whoever gets in first is the one that's going to be healed. And it amazed me as I was reading this that this was called the house of mercy and grace when it was really just dependent on their works. It was just really dependent on how selfish can I be. That in order to get my miracle, I've got to shove some other poor soul out of the way in order for me to get my freedom. It was the house of mercy and grace, but it was dependent on what I could make happen. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is a gift from God. See, here's the rule. Grace means to empower. It's not a means to do whatever I want. It means to empower. If you were to read through the Bible, everywhere you're able to live in a place of grace. Because he empowers me to walk away from the old life, to walk away from who I used to be, to walk away from the sin, to walk away from all the junk that held me in bondage, to say bye-bye, to say see you later. He gives me the power to walk away and to live a life for him. See, it's empowering. See, when there's increased wickedness in the land, there's also increased grace. See, in a day and age where the church has become a social experiment to establish relativism and culture versus being the moral compass, we must show the world that it's time for the church to rise up and stand firm. See, Romans 5.20 says that it, just creating new laws against sin just produces more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressiveness, the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins, hands down. See, can you see this? This was the first church of I would get mine. See, I can go country. This is my stomping grounds. 
I'm a Georgia girl. I come from, and many of you, some of you might know where this is at, but Rhine, Georgia, okay, in the middle of nowhere. But see, this was the first church at I'm a get mine. This was, a, and it created because everyone was out to just get their own, to just get, take care of themselves. And it created a very awkward and strange setting and a very strange gathering for these people. See, can you imagine? Every day they stared at the water. Every day they waited for the whirlpool. Every day they waited to see the angel. Every day they waited for just a little movement in the water. And days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. These people sat there. This man was there for 38 years waiting on a superstition of an angel coming to stir the waters. See, these people knew each other by name. They knew each other's pain. They knew each other's family history. They knew each other's what they had walked through. They knew what everybody had gone through. They knew everything. They had been sitting by the pool talking about everybody's problem, and they knew each other's stories. They were a fraternity of those who were waiting on a miracle. See, but they had one thing on their mind. They wanted to hear your story. They wanted to hear what was going on in your life. But there was one thing on their mind, and it was when the water begins to stir, get out of my way so I can get my miracle. Get out of my way so I can be the one that jumps in. See, it was every man for himself. When the water started bubbling, everybody started diving in. But I'm here to tell you, can I say this? When the church becomes more about helping others rather than helping ourselves, that's when we'll begin to see our miracles take place. See, we have to realize it's not just about us. And that's what I love about the story in Mark 2, about the four guys. Do you know the story where there's four guys? See, I love this because Pat always says these guys had to be rednecks. Because these men, I mean, can you see it? These men couldn't get to the party. So they climbed up on the roof, dug a hole in the roof, layered a man, lowered a man through the, the roof down to right in the middle of where Jesus was talking. They had to be rednecks. This sounds like some of my family reunions. Because the most anytime you hear somebody at a family reunion say, hey, everybody watch this, or hey, has anybody done this before? You know somebody's leaving in the ambulance. And that's what this was. This was one of those moments where they couldn't get to the party, so they decided they were going to lower this man through the roof because it wasn't about them. They wanted to see this man healed. And see, every day I know that Jesus is looking for someone who will be crazy enough to lift the roof, who will be crazy enough to say, I don't care how stupid I look. I don't care if the world thinks I'm crazy. I don't care if the world thinks I'm insane. I'm going to cut the roof out so that I can get my family member to the feet of Jesus. See, Jesus knew this man was about to become the illustration at the end of his sermon. See, Jesus wants somebody to be the illustration tonight. At the end of the sermon, see, they had one thing in mind, and that was getting this man to the feet of Jesus. I love it because sometimes you got to be crazy enough to remove the roof. Sometimes you got to be crazy enough to believe the impossible. The Bible says in Matthew that it says, all things are possible to those who believe. All things are possible to those who believe. See, the Bethesda pool, though, was every man for himself. See, I imagine there was hair pulling going on. I imagine that when the waters just began to move a little bit, the people were shoving each other's wheelchairs out of the way, shoving people's their uh, stands, their little walkers out of the way. There was mass hysteria. I imagine it was like Thanksgiving Black Friday shopping where everybody's so happy and, and they open the doors to the shopping and they say, Merry Christmas, now get out of my way. See, I imagine that's what this moment was like. But here's what I realized. They were so consumed with their issue that they didn't realize who just walked in. They were so consumed with their pain that they didn't realize that the one who bore everything for them had just walked in. See, they were so consumed 
They didn't realize that he was the well of living water. He was the river that flows from God. He was the flood of love and compassion. See, I wonder how many times that we God walks into our services, but we forgot to add him to the order of service. See, God wants to walk in, and all the while we're doing our own thing. We got to get this in. We got to get that in. And God says, I just want to show up and for you to know I'm here. See, Revelation 3, 8 says, I stand at the door and knock. These people were waiting on mercy and grace, but no one noticed that mercy and grace just walked past the sheep gate as the Savior that was going to deliver them. Where the sheep would be led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53 says that tells us that he was the lamb that would be led to the slaughter. They were so busy waiting to get stirred that they missed the one out of him whose belly would flow liver, rivers of living water. They were so desperate to be healed that they missed the healer. That they missed who he was. See, Jesus' calling card is Matthew 11:28. 28. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. See, they were steps away from the encounter, but they were so consumed with their own issues that they probably thought Jesus was just the pool boy. See, can I tell you, Jesus is not the pool boy. He's the one that calms the storm. See, he's not here to measure your algae, but to take your temperature tonight. He's not here to check your chlorine levels, but he's here to clean out a bacteria called sin so that you can get your freedom tonight. See, there was about to be an altar call at the city pool today. There was about to be an altar call. This man was about to experience a powerful altar call. He had waited so long. He was waiting on something that had already been given to him, that had already been given freely. He was dying from dehydration just while staring at the pool of refreshing. But his tomorrow was about to become his today. Because there is one place that will change everything, that will restore your joy, strengthen that which remains, stir you to change your world, renew your mind and transform your heart. And that place is the altar. That place of encounter where you will never thirst again. The altar is the place where what you have been gets interrupted with what you can become. And Jesus became the altar for us. See, Psalm 84 says, even the sparrow has found a home. And a swallow, a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty. See, anywhere where Jesus shows up, that becomes an altar. We've had altar calls in our home, just like Pat said. When we got doctor's report, we meet at the altar. When we're going through a rough time, we meet at the altar. Because there's nowhere that can bring me peace. Nowhere that can bring me joy. Nowhere that can calm my nerves. He is my nerve pill. He is my everything. See, you can have an altar call everywhere. You can have it at school. You can have it at work. You can have it in the break room, in car line, picking up your kids, on a construction site, working. No matter where you are, you can have an altar call because he will become your pool and your oasis in the midst of your desert. See, I'll never forget. I'll never forget about maybe 17 years ago when I was at one of the lowest points in my life. Because we had been trying and longing to have another child for eight or ten years. And we couldn't have another child. And I was at the lowest point of my life. I was crying out to God. I was telling God how unfair he was, how unjust he was, how everything was about me, how I was sad, how I was angry, how I was all of these things. And I'll never forget dropping Nate off our son. He was just about seven or eight at that time. And I'll never forget dropping him off at school. Pat was out of town ministering. But I'm not ashamed to say I was depressed and in despair. And I remember driving home that day, not knowing how I got home. God help all the people who were on the road with me that day. But I pulled into the garage. And as I sat there, I began to weep. And I began to cry, and I said, God, I give up. I give up. I can't do this anymore. And you know what he said to me? Maybe he's nice and speaks differently to you. He said, good. 
because now maybe you're ready for a miracle. See, and in that moment, he spoke to me. And he said to me, Karen, if you were in the middle of the ocean and your ship was sinking, what would keep you alive? And can I be honest with you? I don't know that a lot would have wanted, kept me to want to stay alive at that moment. I was that discouraged. And I said, God, I don't know if I want to go on. And I said, but wait. If my son was in that ship with me, I'd stay alive to keep him alive. And he said, exactly. Because in your despair, Karen, it's when you rescue that you are rescued. It's when it's not about you and it becomes about somebody else that you become rescued. And he showed me the map of China and he said, there is your miracle. There is your daughter. If you'll go get her, you're not rescuing her. She's rescuing you. And our precious daughter is my best friend. Because on that day, I didn't become her rescuer. She became mine. To realize that life wasn't all about me. It was about those who God had a destiny and a purpose for. See, God is always ready to, to rescue. Psalm 36, 5 through 6 in the Message Bible. I love the way it says it here. It says, God's love is meteoric. His loyalty, astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdict, oceanic. Yet in the largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. He says, it's in the rescuing that you will be rescued. You have to rescue. See, we are called to be atmosphere changers and glory propagators. We're called to be mobile upper rooms, hope dealers, leading those others to the water of refreshing. Because when humanity meets divinity, that's called an altar call. See, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom is, of God is not about words, but power and demonstration. And Jesus was about to prove it in this story when he looked at the man and says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? See, we have to get back to the God encounters. With the enlargement of church platforms and the, the loss of the altar area, now more than ever, we need mobile upper rooms that will carry the fire of God in their hearts and healing oil in their hands and a cup of cool water to say to those, I have what you need that will bring refreshing to your life. See, it's time for a wounded, hurting, and lost soul to encounter a radical on fire bride with no purpose other than populating heaven and depopulating hell. See, here's what was happening. Jesus walks up to the guy who was lame, who had been sitting at the pool, who had been sitting in the same church service for 38 years and never been moved. Jesus walked up to this man who had been waiting for 37 year, 38 years, waiting every excuse in the book to be stirred and to be moved in the presence of God. And he walked up to him. And this was the first church of maybe tomorrow. See, you need to realize that this is your now. Do you know what the number 38 means? The number 38 means slavery. It means work and labor. See, this man was enslaved to his issue. He was enslaved to his, the predicament that he was in. He was enslaved to his pain. He was enslaved to the issues of his life, to the offenses in his life, to everything that had happened in his past. He was enslaved to what was going on, to his excuses and to his fear. Have you ever felt like your destiny was on hold? Have you ever felt like, if you could just get past this issue in your life, everything would change. See, this year, the enemy has attacked my body. He's attacked my blood. He's attacked different things. He's attacked so many different things in my body. But here's what I've heard God say this past year. Karen, it's not about your circumstances. It's not about what's going on in this fleshly body. 
It's not about what the enemy is attacking in your body because he is not attacking you. He is attacking the breath, the spirit of God that resides inside of you. This is not personal. It's about him. It's about detouring my destiny. It's about delaying my purpose, about delaying what God has for you. See, the issues you're walking through are just a means for the enemy to delay the purpose God has on your life. To delay you from reaching what God has for you. This man was in bondage to his own pain. And he had to wake up and realize that it was about more than just what he was walking through. See, can I ask you tonight, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? It goes on to say that the man looked at Jesus when Jesus walked up to him and said, do you want to be well? And he immediately goes into his long list of excuses. And here is what the man said. He says, sir, he didn't even know it was Jesus. He said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. He was saying, Jesus, I don't have anybody that will lead me into the presence of God. I don't have anybody who will move me in the spirit. I don't have, and by the time I get there, everybody else is already laid out, have got their miracle, and I'm just sitting back watching, and I missed it. Saying, there's nobody that will do it for me. But God's saying, I'm asking you to do it. Can you to get up and walk it off? See, for 38 years, he had been so close to healing and freedom, but nobody would do it for him. See, here's the key. You will never get free as long as you're blaming the ones who have gotten in your way. See, Philippians 3, Paul said, forgetting what is behind me, I press towards the goal. See, it's time to lay down what has held you back. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it goes on to say, then let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. We're surrounded by those who overcame, those who conquered, those who pressed through the junk, those who got up and went to the water, those who didn't let anything hold them back, those who didn't wait for somebody to do it for them, and they're watching, and they're saying, will you be made well? Will you be made whole? See, dare we sit licking our wounds of yesterday's failures while the enemy plots out tomorrow's tragedies. See, it reminds me that we are out of time, that we have to push forward. The day of silent church is over, and God is asking, will you choose me? See, I love 1 Kings 18.21. It says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. And they sat silent. We can't sit silent. In other words, God is saying, whose side are you on? Matthew 12 says, if you're not for me, you're against me. And there comes a moment where your faith invites God into your issue. And he is forced to respond to your obedience. See, what has held you back from walking out your destiny must be put aside. Because Jesus is at the door knocking. Revelations 3.19 says, Here I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with them and they with me. See, he's ready to answer your prayer today. If you can put aside everything that's held you back. Everyone stand with me, please. See, it's time to leave your pool of sorrow for the river of life. It's time to walk it off tonight. It's time to walk it off because here comes the powerful moment. John 5 says that Jesus looks at him. He asks him, do you want to be well? And the man gives all kinds of excuses. But what amazes me here so many times in the Bible, we read of Jesus touching someone and they're healed. Or someone touching Jesus and they're healed. But there was no physical contact in the scripture. He looks at this man and Jesus says to him, John 5, get up. 
get up. See, I have heard that in my life so many times when I was down and I was discouraged. And I've heard in my prayer time when I finally decided to stop thinking about me and entering into the presence of God. I could hear him say, Karen, get up. Get dressed with the armor of God. Put on your helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Pick up the sword of the spirit. Put on the belt buckle of truth because the truth will set you free. And fit your feet with readiness. Get up. Get up and quit wallowing. He looks at this man and he says, get up. Take up your mat and start walking. (laughs) He didn't say, take me by the hand. Let me do it for you. He said, get up and walk it off. Get off and shake off yesterday. Get off and shake off what mom and daddy did to you. Get up and shake off what was said to you at 13 years old. Get up and shake off what the enemy tried to kill you with. Walk it off. Walk off the past. And did you know when he did it, the man was healed on the spot. And he picked up his mat and he walked it off. See, church, it's time to activate our faith. It's time to stand up and walk and declare God has healed me. See, some of you have let your dreams die. Some of you have let your hopes vanish. You have been stuck as a slave to your circumstances. Blaming everybody else for your lack of encounter. But what I have learned is if the dream was easily obtained by me, then it would never have pushed me to activate my faith. See, I love it because I love because the Bible constantly pushes us to activate our faith. Just like I'm reminded of Jesus when he was in the boat and a storm came up. And the disciples were afraid. And they went and woke Jesus up. Do you know what he did first? He was asleep in the boat. He just told this man, get up and walk it off. But when Jesus was woke, awakened in the boat in the midst of a storm, the first thing he did was he stood up. He stood up in the boat and he spoke to the storm that was in the disciples path see if the disciples had have waited for the storm to pass they would have never experienced the miracle that was on the other side of the storm because Jesus stood up and he looked at the storm and he said quiet be still his breath punched a hole in the darkness and reached the shore where there was a demon-possessed man in the caves of the shore And when he spoke, he wasn't speaking to the disciples' storm on the boat. He was speaking to the storm that was raging and a man who had no hope all across the ocean, all across the storm. Because the storm wasn't about the disciples. It was to delay the purpose on the shore. And he punched a hole through the darkness and he said, peace, be still, so that the man would receive his deliverance see it's time to stand see but get ready because when you get your freedom the religious will always get mad and this man went and told the Pharisees what had happened they saw him and you know what they said instead of praise God you've been healed don't you know it's illegal to hold your mat on the Sabbath And this man began to talk and say, look at me, I've been healed. Look at me, I can walk. He had forgotten the one who had set him free. And Jesus found him in the streets and he said, be careful. If you're not careful, you'll be worse than you were before. And in that moment, the man recognized. And he went back and he said, Jesus has healed me and set me free. 
See, I'm here to tell you tonight, every eye closed, every head bowed. See, the wind of God is here tonight, and it's moving through this place. The same breath that said, get up and walk it off. The same breath that punched a hole in the darkness to bring deliverance on the shore. That same breath is here, and he's saying to you, do you want to be made well? And there's some of you in this room that have been stuck in your circumstances for a very long time. You've been stuck in the pain. You've been stuck in the agony. You've been stuck in the anger. You've been stuck in that moment of offense. You've been stuck in a place of sickness and disease. And Jesus is saying to you, do you want to be made well? And if that's you, if you're walking through something tonight, if you're walking through an issue, if you're walking through sickness, if you're walking through anything, if that's you, it's time to walk it off. And Jesus is saying, take up your mat and begin to walk. Get out of your seat right now, wherever you are. Get out and start walking to this front because the altar is here. Jesus was in there and he was the altar at that moment. As you're walking down, the Spirit of the Lord is going to hit you. Everyone, get out of your chairs and begin to make your way down. As you move down, the presence of God is going to hit you. 38 years of slavery is going to be broken off people. Slavery, fear, and doubt is going to break off people. Come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. The Spirit of the Lord is here. He's saying, do you want to be free? He's saying, are you tired of fighting this war? No more tomorrow. Are you tired of the pain? Can I trust you with your testimony? He wants to heal you tonight. All over this house, the Spirit of the Lord is hovering. Lift your hands from the front to the back and begin to worship. Begin to cry out now. Go. Go. Begin to cry out. 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 All excuses are being removed today. People are going to be healed across this room. But Jesus is saying there comes a moment where you accept my challenge. There comes a moment where you accept me as Lord. There comes a moment where you begin to realize the salvation at the pool that day. The rescue at the day that, uh, at the pool that day was happened when Jesus came through the sheep gate, the very gate that Nehemiah had rebuilt. It would be the very gate that he would be, would be led out of to go to Calvary. You have to understand, it was a signal to the church saying, follow me, I'm the lamb. I am the lamb that can fulfill every promise throughout God's word. And with every eye shut across this place, God is saying, if you have sin in your life, if you have garbage in your life, be Before I can heal you, before I can restore you, before I can fix you, you've got to cry out to me. And you need to know something all over this room. Your miracle starts at the moment you quit making excuses for your past. That moment you begin to say, God, change me and forgive me. And all over this house, from the front to the back, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is dropping on this room right now. And he is saying, do you want me or don't you? And if you have sin in your life and you say, I have had enough, I want to be free right now. Before I can be healed, i got to get free. i got to let him be Lord. I've got to let the blood of Jesus flow over me. I've got to let him change me. All over the house, say, Jesus, help Here he comes. He just walked through the sheep gate for you. He's walking up to you right now. I'm telling you from the front to the back, if you have sin in your life, this is your moment for God to change you. If you have perversion in your life, if you have doubt in your life, if you have hurt in your life, Jesus just walked up to the pool saying enough. Do you want to be made well is what he's saying. 
And with every eye shut across this room, if you need God to change you and forgive you, raise both. Not, we always do the one-handed thing. But I don't know about you, but the first time we held Abby in our arms, she stretched her arms out. There comes a moment where you got to stretch both hands up. If you need God to forgive you and change you, raise, raise both hands right now. Almost like, come on, all over the house and Karen's going to lead you. But that's the first step. Then we're going into miracle time and we're laying hands on the sick tonight. And God is going to pull you up out of your sickness. We're going to get miracle reports it happens every week this is the night that it breaks free so get ready both hands raised and pray this yes, say, dear, jesus, dear jesus come on louder help dear me. jesus help me save me forgive me set my feet on a new path heal me heal my mind heal my heart Heal my life. I give you everything. Lead me. And I will follow. Thank you, Jesus. Here it comes. No, here it comes. It's going to get deeper. It's going to get deeper. From the front to the back, there are people that need to walk towards the pool because the pool of the Lord is right up here. And God is going to begin to stir the anointing up. Out of his belly shall flow rivers. And all over this house, if you are desperate for a miracle, begin to cry out to God now. From the front to the back, go ahead, begin to play. From all over this house, begin to cry out to God. God says, I'm about to heal lives. I'm about to break curses. I hear the sounds of chains falling off. God says, this is your night to meet him at the pool this is your night to break slavery off your life cry out here it comes heal me Do you want to be made well? Do you want your baby set free? Do you want your family set free? Tell him, tell him right now. I'm desperate, God. I'm desperate, God. I'm desperate, God. I can't do it on my own anymore. I am desperate. If you're in a place and you've been stuck for a long time then just begin to cry out just begin to cry out right now lift your voices up let him hear you calling his name let him hear you because he's about to break open the bondage that's been standing in your way he's about to break down the walls that have been standing in your way hindering you from seeing the miracle that's waiting on you begin to praise him and the walls will begin to crumble